Across the UK, Overnights with Martin Kellner. Well, there you are, a bit of whooping and uh, hollering there, especially for Mexican uh, Independence Day. And uh, joining us from Campeche in Mexico on this very special day, uh, we have John Bonfilio. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. I promise all whooping and hollering is exactly <laughs> what's going to be happening across this nation of 120 million people tonight. Uh, I think it can all be distilled down to the word revelry is what's going to yeah. be taking place. Brilliant. Millions of Mexicans going out into um, into the streets uh, to hear the call and uh, go out and fight for a free Mexico. And uh, I gather that Viva Mexico is is what we shout. We do shout. And actually, the X is pronounced as a J. So it's Viva Mexico. Mexico that is going to yes. be what's been it's uh, what's going to be called in reenactments across uh, the country tonight. Look, uh, if there is a night of the year. When the stereotypes are true, this is it. Uh, Sombreros, wide-brimmed hats, tequila, traditional dress, (laughs) and a a lot of noise. Um, Interestingly, I think there's two particular things about tonight or tomorrow that's that's interesting. The first is that that Mexico tends to celebrate its days the evening before. So actually, uh, Mexico's Independence Day is the 16th of September, but it's this evening where the call to insurgency, to the possibility and hope of independence is um is 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 reenacted and the second thing that's interesting about mexico's independence day celebration is that it doesn't actually uh demarcate or celebrate the day that mexico became independent it it marks the beginning of what was then the decade-long struggle um and actually i mean terribly or um or uh, perhaps ironically depending on your perspective most of the people who who began the the independence movement at the time with later uh, uh, executed and, and beheaded. Not that, that made much difference. So it took a number of independence, took a number of different turns over over time until it finally took place in, in 1820. Of course, independence from uh, from Spain. But, you know, whichever way you look at it, this is by some distance the biggest secular feast, feria, fiesta of the year here in Mexico. Yes, and and it's true, is it, that there are signs there because of all this celebrating and the whooping, the hollering, etc., etc. There are signs that you're not to shoot your guns up into the air because the bullets falling back to earth have a habit <laughs> of hurting people. Is that is that right? <laughs> there are a lot of of signs in Mexico and in Latin America more broadly that are my favourite signs that I've ever seen, and that is one of them. Uh, you don't see them as much these days, but you do still see them. And certainly, you know, when I first came uh, to Mexico back in the day, you would see that absolutely everywhere. As you say, you know, going into, into any public space, especially at a point of celebration, there would be a big sign, a big temporary sign saying, please don't shoot your guns in the air because returning <laughs> bullets returning to earth can still harm people. You don't have to mm. shoot somebody directly to actually hurt them. No, amazing. Uh, now, uh, also, uh, Mexico in the news this week, uh, in the, the, uh, the Congress in Mexico had a hearing into extraterrestrial life. 
and was presented with two mummies, which are, I mean, there's been serious politicians discussing this. They're purported to be aliens, but the pictures we saw in the newspapers, they look exactly like E.T., which uh, they do. <laughs> would, yeah, it would be quite a coincidence, wouldn't it, if extraterrestrial life was exactly as Steven Spielberg um, thought it was. Do you know what? As soon as I, I saw it as well, and, and I thought, you know, how can you compare these uh, these small desiccated three-fingered beings to something, and they look exactly like E.T. But not just not just that, you know, if it, the Spielbergian sort of uh, prescience was 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 a thing, but also just even if life elsewhere actually ends up, even if they look slightly different to us, but you know, is life going to look something like a biped with? hands and eyes and a, and a mouth i mean that in and of itself would be slightly strange but look yeah mexico's congress generally not a place of excitement mostly no. it's a sort of sober dreary place for the discussion of the minutiae of budgets and precise wording of le- legislation but not this week this week actually it mm-hmm. began as a serious exercise a bit like the, you know in the u.s senate uh, where there was this discussion into ufos and, and what was actually out there but this this sort of um, fringe politician invited this figure, Jaime Maussan, a self-proclaimed UFO expert into the Senate to give evidence on the existence of extraterrestrials. Uh, and he decided to, to happily bring along uh, these two mummies, which uh, was, and I'm going to put this very much in inverted commas, were found in Peru on the Nazca lines in 2017. And Maussan said, Maussan's pretty well known here for being a, what you might term a fringe figure. I don't put that in inverted commas. And he said, uh, these are non-human beings who are none part of our terrestrial evolution. Um, whichever way, I mean, you know, the, the fact of it is that even if this guy is a kook, which pretty much everybody agrees, it doesn't reduce the impact of the fact that aliens were presented to Mexico's senior legislative body this week. Mm. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the truth is, is out there somewhere, as somebody once said, and presumably at some point in the, in the future, we'll find out, you know, if there is intelligent life out there, because um, there's precious little of it down here, they'll uh, no doubt get in touch with us at some point and we'll, you know, keep the channels open for that. Um, I, I heard a while ago that you actually had a cameo in the X-Files once back in the day. Is this, is this true? Is this on your Wikipedia? Uh, no, uh, well, people put all sorts of stuff on the Wikipedia thing that's not true. Um, but I was in Jesus Christ Superstar, which is a different, uh, a different thing. I was an extra, you know, wow. I was a wow. non, non-speaking person. This was in the uh, Norman <clears throat> Jewison version of it back in, oh, blimey, 969, maybe, 6970, something like that. <clears throat> Some, 71, I think. Um, but yeah, long time ago. Uh, but I, I was never in the X-Files. But not the X-Files. But not the X-Files. Somebody just put that on Wikipedia. It's, uh, it's just somebody messing about. Uh, now, th- th- this is, this is an, um, another amazing story from you, John. The, um, the body of an Ecuadorian gang leader has disappeared from its resting place in a cemetery in Colombia. T- tell me about that. Oh, look, yeah, he is uh, Junior Roldan, is all over the news and not in life, but in, in death. This is one of the founder of Los Choneros, an Ecuadorian cartel. I mean, Ecuador has been 
in the in the media a lot recently for this general this really rapid descent into cartel uh, anarchy and Los Chinos is an Ecuadorian cartel with a with links to the Sinaloa cartel in Mexico and this guy has a life which you know even beats yours Martin in terms of uh, you know absolute amazement and <laughs> divagations away from Jesus Christ superstar and into other things uh, obviously a, a, a gang leader um, he was a crime kingpin, survived various murder attempts, ended up in jail. Then he was released on remand. He decided to escape to Colombia, where he was shot and killed. And then he was buried in Colombia. And this week, um, custodians of the cemetery that he was buried at were surprised to go into the cemetery and found and to find that it had been broken into and his vault had been opened and his body had been um, had been stolen. There are various theories abounding as to as to what took to, took place here, whether it was uh, actually some members of his own gang or uh, there's been discussions of a satanic ritual by members of another gang that decided to steal his body. But actually, one of the things which is true about this and is kind of a landscape that we're living in at the moment in terms of gangs and cartels is that the end of somebody's life is not the end of the process, that actually now there are graves being desecrated left, right and centre, certainly across Latin America uh, as, as a message being sent, you know, killing your adversaries isn't enough. Now you actually have to uh, send a sign by absolutely desecrating everything that they they stood for and their body after you know, after the end of their life to 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 demonstrate your your power uh, over them in in terms of the cartels. And actually, it was strangely enough, what this speaks to, uh, if you like, more than anything else, is that the, the ongoing power of the Mexican cartels because the Ecuadorian cartels are in and of themselves linked to uh, specific cartels in Mexico. The Sinaloa cartel, which we just mentioned, and then the Los Lobos um, cartel in Ecuador. The, uh, the, uh, the adversary is linked to the Jalisco New Generation cartel. So how mm. these gangs operate in different countries sort of give us a sense of the preeminence, the ongoing preeminence of certain cartels in Mexico that uh, are uh, basically the kingpins in in the drug world at the moment, they are the they are the apex predators uh, above all uh, internationally. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like, you know, when we talk about huge commercial organizations, you know, be it Apple or, you know, Procter and Gamble or, you know, whatever it is, uh, the cartels are pretty well like that, aren't they? If you just look at it. I mean, I'm sure you're, you're bored of me saying this, uh, Martin, but if you look at it economically, I always think it's really important to look at this economically in order to try and make sense of this. If you just look at it in those terms, then they are basically a massively successful. They are amongst the most uh, hugely successful multinationals on Earth. Mm-hmm. They yeah. don't just do cocaine. They don't just do um, uh, cannabis. They do cement. Uh, they do tourism. Uh, they do hospitals. They do uh, avocados. They do, again, as we've covered on your show, limes, mm. uh, lemons. They do absolutely anything that turns a profit they get involved in. And it is spectacular the efficiency with which they serve and and function. And for sure, you know, they exist here, but they they are not exclusively Mexican. They um, they have uh, ongoing connections and, and branches, uh, tentacles, however you want to describe them, um, absolutely everywhere. Wh- whichever street of the UK you live on or somebody lives on, there is going to be somebody not that far away that is linked to a, in some way, shape or form, to a branch of a Mexican cartel. 
Um, that is fundamentally the truth of things. Unbelievable. Um, just look at some of the sport now. Um, the Rugby Union World Cup is uh, is going on at the moment. Yeah, Uruguay created a bit of a shock the other night. Yeah, I mean, the, the this uh, obviously in the Rugby World Cup, you've got the three, I suppose, the, the, what are called the Southern Cone nations, Uruguay, Argentina and Chile. And Uruguay against France, 12-27, was a remarkably creditable yeah. Uh, performance for them. Always with these things, you know, the aspirations of these countries are important to to recognise. I guess in Pula, in, in Pool A, as long as Uruguay finish above Namibia, that's something of a success uh, for them. And then in Pool D, you've got Japan, England, Samoa, Argentina, and Chile. Argentina, of course, they have been World Cup semi-finalists mm. in the past, and and are pretty much a top tier nation. Chile, um, remarkably, last year uh, won 52-51 in an aggregate playoff against the USA to qualify for their first. Uh, rugby world cup lost to japan uh just recently last week but for sure the, the very fact that they are just in the world cup is a is a success uh for them but it's really important for these nations and any other nations that you know outside of the top tier nations that they perform creditably to try and actually genuinely which is what everybody wants make rugby a global game which it palpably at the moment struggles to be yeah, and Chile uh, face uh, Samoa uh, later on today, uh, and that will be very tough for them, and I suspect they might be reasonably heavily beaten. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, and Argentina, uh, as you say, top-tier nation, definitely, um, but a little bit below par against uh, England. Well, very much below par against England, because 15 against 14, and uh, England managed to uh, to win. We didn't score any tries, but uh, did manage to win with uh, George Ford's uh, goal-kicking. Uh, and yep. uh, as, for, yeah, as far as football goes, um, the big stories from the first two match days of the South American World Cup qualifiers. Uh, run us through those, uh, John. Yep, um, match days one and two. Argentina and Brazil, the only two teams uh, to win both matches, uh, to achieve an, an away victory. And I guess the top stories there are Marcelo Bielsa, uh, now in charge of Uruguay. Uh, how did we not see that this was coming? Because the guy has a holiday home that he spent, because Uruguay is pretty close to, well, that was just a, on the border of Argentina, of course, and loads of Argentines live there. But he has a house in, in Uruguay. So for him, this is a dream job, uh, a resounding 3-1 defeat of Chile in the first, uh, in Chile, in the first uh, match, and then lost away to Ecuador. But I think, uh, I think we can really expect Marcelo Bielsa's Uruguay to punch way above their weight. And in a way, they're kind of his ideal side because he loves mongrel uh, footballers. He loves footballers that just, you know, really, really work and, and buy into an ethos. And that has historically always been uh, Uruguay. The second story, I think, is the fact that Uruguay, that Ecuador beat Uruguay at home, but continue to be on zero points. Now, how could this be? This is because uh, they were docked three points um, before the last World Cup by the Court for Arbitration in Sport because they fielded this guy, if you remember the name, mm. Martin Byron Castillo, who turns out wasn't actually uh, Ecuadorian, but was Colombian. And everybody sort of pretty much knew that he was Colombian, but they fielded him anyway. So, uh, yeah, they've been docked some points. And then the final, and I guess the biggest story in a way, is the fact that in the 5-1, Brazil's 5-1 defeat of Bolivia, Neymar overtook Pele's record 77 goals for Brazil with his 78th and 79th and is now the clear record goal scorer uh, in uh, men's Brazilian football. Yeah, um, brilliant. 
Uh, as always, thank you ever so much, uh, John. Do appreciate it. And uh, thank you for joining us on Mexican Independence Day. So we play that little bit of Mexican music at the start with thousands of complaints flooding in from uh, Long John Baldry <laughs> fans saying, where's Long John? Well, no, no, a special treat. They're saying, where's Long John? I'll tell you exactly where he is. Uh, meanwhile, thanks ever so much, John. Do appreciate it. And Long John Baldry is... He's here, Viva Mexico. Where the music's softly playing and the rhythm's gently swaying, underneath the stars and the million bars, guitars are softly singing.